When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am a Cuban. You don't want to use your name? No, I just want to oh. say that I live in Israel. You live in and, Israel. And uh, I'm originally from America. I am from Iceland. I'm Icelandic. I'm Danish. What nationality are, are the, the singers and the... And the Iraq. I am a woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me down again Whoa, Yes, I am white But it's wisdom for the pain Yes, I paid the price But look how much I gained If I have to, I can do anything I am strong Women, women and more women, all nationalities. You never saw so many women in your life as I saw last month at the World Conference on Women in Copenhagen. Because July 1980 saw the second United Nations World Conference on Women. Midway through the designated decade for women, it was felt that a conference to assess progress over the past five years and to formulate a comprehensive plan for the next five was both desirable and necessary. The format entailed two sessions. The main conference, attended by government delegates, was held in the Bella Centre in Copenhagen and the Forum for Non-Governmental Organisations was held in the university buildings on the other side of town. One was political, formal and staid. The other was utterly informal, very colourful and, in general, a marketplace for ideas. Afro-Asian People Solidarity Organization. We are welcome to our workshop from 10 to 12, room 6148. We will have people, uh, women from all over the world telling about their own economic situation and the relation of women and economic development. We are working. You are welcome to our workshop. There's going to be an anti-nuclear or pro-ecology demonstration today. It's anti-nuclear, anti-chemical industry, anti-most of the basic exploitation and destruction of the earth and the people. The forum, which operated mainly as a series of workshops, presented initially anyway a sensation of almost total, though may I say very friendly, chaos. Women, as I said, thousands of them everywhere, all nationalities, all madly keen to let you know about their particular interest, about their particular country, as well as the same keenness to communicate as much as possible and to learn as much as possible about the situation and issues in other countries. So there was an atmosphere of near frenzy, as one couldn't possibly attend all 
all the workshops and so you just hope to goodness that you made the right choices because just to assess the full gamut of what was going on at any one time was in itself an achievement. Well, as I told you, I was culturally shocked also. I come from Mexico and I was uh, expecting to find many people to talk to many people to exchange experiences and then I also met with a very compact program of, of action I mean panels and session uh, all of them uh, w which I would have loved to attend but it was impossible and at first I, I felt frustrated I felt nervous and confused but now that everything's finished I, I, I feel that I learned a lot much more than what I expected even and that I met lots of people and that I exchanged experience and find and I, I found in one hand how, how different uh, for example the feminist movement how differently it has been shaped in uh, different parts of the world and on the other hand how um, how similar are situations in many other ways mm -hmm. An extremely interesting point of evaluation for everyone was assessing how your own country was faring relative to any other country on legislation and attitudes towards their womenfolk. Here in Ireland, many believe that great progress has been made since we joined the EEC. So how does the situation here compare, say, with Finland? And incidentally, the women in Finland think that they're in a very bad way indeed. Uh, what about contraception? Uh, it's free. I mean, anyone can get it, of course. You can get it in the shops. Uh, you can go to your doctor and get a coil or get the pill without any questions asked. There's no problems about that. Is this for married people? or No, no, people? everybody. Everybody. What there about divorce? So. For yeah, example, in yeah. Ireland, there is no divorce. There is divorce in your oh, country. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have um, abortion in your country? Yes. Uh, what's the predominant religion of your people? Lutheran. Lutheran. Lutheran and there is no conflict there in terms of abortion? Uh, no, not really. Um, you can get it up to if you are 12 weeks pregnant and if you can show that you need it for financial reasons, economic reasons, you know, if you just can't possibly cope with a child. The Finnish picture might show Ireland by comparison as a relatively backward nation. Some of the developing countries, however, could persuade Irish women to count their blessings and see us as, again, by comparison, a vastly progressive society. Circumcision is not um, the usual for everybody in Nigeria. And there are many areas where it does not occur. There are areas where it does occur. The other thing that we need to bring out very clearly is that there are four types, four types of oppression. But briefly, it's just that the mild, mild one, there could be such a mild one that nothing is cut off, and the most mild one is just uh, sort of a symbolic gesture of pricking the clitoris. And um, like you have, we have, of course, circumcision for male and female, which complicates the problem a little. And we, I mean, medically, one can see the reason for circumcision of male. Medically, I cannot see the reason for circumcision of the female. Mm -hmm. Then there is the excision of part of the clitoris. That's the second group. And then some, the third group, may be excision of part of the clitoris and a little of the labia, minora. And then the f uh, most extreme one is where a lot more is cut off. And not only is a lot more cut off, 
an attempt is made to lessen the opening. And this, as it were, the whole purpose, really, if one wants to generalize, if one shouldn't, but sometimes you have to, is the protection of chastity and virginity. I think this is what is uppermost in the minds of those who do it. Mm -hmm. In fact, even where circumcision takes place, what the African women has been saying, these are not our health priorities now. Because um, maybe it's not a, to the Western woman, they'll think that this, this is the most important thing. But the most important thing are the basic things, maternal child health care services, water, food, shelter, sanitation, eradication of communicable diseases, availability of medical services, and accessibility to medical services, mm -hmm. and money to do these things. Always money um, and uh, manpower. So as you can see, the differences for women between countries ranging from Scandinavia in Northern Europe to developing countries in Central Africa, the differences are not just a matter of geography and the weather. They're much, much more fundamental. And so you might then think that the areas for communication were great. But extraordinarily, a motion on, say, health education was voted on, not on its merit or content, but rather on the political alignment of the country either proposing or seconding the resolution. So did that make a joke of the entire conference? Sylvia Meehan speaking from Copenhagen towards the end of the conference. I think in the long run, even if the delegations appeared to be composed of women who are not normally uh, regular civil servants, uh, that even so, in the long run, the orders on particular voting patterns came from their state departments. There's no doubt about that. And you see, um, it is true. If you were to walk through the centre hall, and there was one very dominant picture I kept thinking about, and that is of a, a, a bent black figure actually handing out a shriveled dry breast to a small male child, which is just shriveled with hunger, looked like a, a, terrib a terrible scene. And yet you know that the condition of that woman and child is really the result of politics. Now, perhaps you say in this conference, when her appalling and painful circumstances, which really affects all of us because what's happening to her is because she was a woman, it was discussed that method and patterns of voting still fell down on the side of who was doing the proposing and indeed even where at times to us the wording of resolutions seemed innocuous enough. Still, it was the power block element which crept in. Well, now, the delegation mainly responsible for this politicisation was the delegation sent by the Palestinians, the PLO. Why did they choose to do this? We wanted all the women of the world to know more about our legal cause, our right, national rights, and the problems of the Palestinian women uh, suffering from discrimination or from national uh, lack of rights and from her being uh, unable to promulgate all the intents of the conference through her abilities. Um, some of the women here have been complaining that at the moment in the, the General Assembly the United Nations is discussing the, the question and that this is supposed to be a conference about women and women's issues and where they're going. 
Why raise it here? Why not allow it at the, the United Nations General Assembly and leave this particular conference to deal with the problems that specifically relate to women? That's fine. The theme of the conference is equality, development and peace. And how peace could be achieved without uh, national independence. And how development could be achieved without peace. So it's all the concern of the women. Uh, and we were studying the sufferings of the women, not only the economical side. Uh, naturally, the national, uh, the moral, the intellectual, all sides of the sufferings of the women. So uh, the national aggression is the main issue and the main uh, source of all the miseries of the Palestinian women. Beside the other miseries that the women is suffering in the Third World War. Uh, the uh, third uh, world, uh, the developed and underdeveloped countries. This what sort of response have you been getting at the conference? What? What sort of response have you been getting from the other nations, well, from the other delegates? In fact, I believe we had, up till now, a very satisfactory response from those who are not either uh, under political stress or under economical stress of the United States and the West European countries. Um, I know that you live alone Israel naturally <laughs> well that clearly delineated how attitudes and voting ran the United States Canada and Israel against the East with the EEC abstaining in the middle Irish neutrality incidentally was not in evidence we followed the EEC line all the way that included not accepting the word Zionism in relation to Israel well there was so much Israel and Israeli bashing going on throughout. What were the chances of an Israeli woman actually getting down even to talk about the kind of difficulties that she would have in common with the Palestinians? Well, I think that we have a lot of issues in common as women. Um, I know that I went to one meeting that was international meeting with women, Palestinian women speaking and women from Kampuchea uh, and from Indonesia and from many countries. And I was another Israeli woman who brought up the point that not once were women or, or feminism being, ish, being <coughs> mentioned as common ground. And she said, I would like to see us address us up to those issues, to what we do have in common. And uh, nobody wanted to speak to the issue. And afterwards, several Palestinian women came over and uh, other Arab women. And they said to us that we had no place bringing up such issues because we had no common struggle. And if we supported them in the struggle for Palestine, that we had nothing to speak about. And I replied that uh, we still suffer from oppression. You know, all women can still be raped, and all women can still be beaten up, and we bear the burden. Also, generally, uh, many of us have families and children as well. And they said, no, 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 any Palestinian state is a socialist state. In the socialist countries, women are not oppressed. There are no, there's no oppression in, in Cuba. There's no oppression in Russia. That would never happen. Do you find that a bit confusing in the sense that if you have a philosophy yourself, on the areas of commonality that all women have. Do you find that confusing? I understand where they're coming from. For them, their nationalist struggle takes precedence over anything that we have in common. Um, I disagree with that position, because even though if we live in a country and that country is struggling for independence or uh, they experience national oppression, we still have a common struggle as women. We still suffer another oppression. So d was it possible for you, while you were here, to communicate with Palestinian women just as women? No. Forgetting about politics? It wasn't. 
And I even I, ha I did have a woman, an Arab woman, who I wanted to do an interview with, tell me that uh, first agreed to talk, and then later on said that she was too afraid to talk to me because she was being watched. And mostly when I've tried to talk to any of the women here, they're always surrounded and outside by men. Because of the PLO-Israeli conflict, many of the delegates from all nations were frustrated in their efforts to discuss what they came to Copenhagen to discuss, the provision of health education, proper childcare facilities, education in the area of family planning and contraception, and indeed general attitudes in education. All of these, the so-called women's issues, seemed to fade, some would say, as always, to the bottom of the pile. Bella Absuk is a well-known American pro-Israeli politician. I think that all issues are women's issues, and women should talk about politics because it's the framework in which we seek, you know, our equality. Um, but I think they should be defined by women who are at a conference, uh, and they're not being defined. They're being defined by events that are taking place outside of this conference. Uh, the PLO-Israeli issue in particular uh, has dominated this conference. Uh, we cannot settle the Arab-Israeli war here. We can't. We got the authority, the power, and so on. It's ironic that even as we meet as a women's conference in the middle of our decade, that we're forced into a major discussion on the Arab-Israeli crisis, while at this very moment, simultaneously, in the United Nations, which is headquartered in New York, a General Assembly meeting, a special meeting has been called to deal with the Palestine question. So the fact that they're raising it here indicates that they are attempting to manipulate this conference. This is not coming out of the demands and the grassroots demands of the delegates. By the way, the women at the, on the delegations are much stronger women than at the 1975 Mexico City conference because the impact of the women's movement all over the world has been felt, and governments, though they're male-dominated and have very few women in them, are forced to actually put strong women on their delegations. Mm -hmm. But in the last analysis, their uh, governments give them instructions as to what they have to do. Now, I think this is the time for those women to say, now, wait a minute, we've had enough. Let's defer all of this uh, stuff that is essentially uh, trying uh, indirectly or directly is obscuring or obfuscating the purposes of this conference. Mm -hmm. And we want to talk about a plan of action. And let's take all those controversial international questions, which we can't solve now, and defer them. Right. to be discussed at another time. Mm -hmm. That would be my position if I were a delegate. And I would be saying it. And I want to know why the women on these delegations are not standing up and saying it. And well, she might ask, voicing indeed a question that was on many a mind during the whole session. Of course, her nationality would have left her second only to the Israelis in the unpopularity stakes at the conference. In the past, the United States were seen as the banner carriers for freedom and for women's rights. Yet here they were being abused from all sides. And I wonder how this changed image of themselves affected them. Well, I think it's almost an impossible situation because America is uh, in the heart of all of the major issues that are being discussed. And if you want to talk about the political issues that are being discussed vis-a-vis uh, -vis the PLO, the Iranian women, and the apartheid, America is being, uh, I think, very directly attacked on all of those issues for obvious reasons. Um, it's been kind of uncomfortable in that, in that respect. Do you think that, in a way, the, the U.S. people are keeping, are ducking 
in, in a sense at the moment you were saying that some of the delegates are, are sort of trying to escape people like me in a sense because they're afraid they're going to be to be put upon I mean, is there a sense of, of, of trying to conceal themselves I've been uh, hunting down all of the international people and so I haven't really had that much uh, communication with the Americans mm. but my understanding is that they're in a very difficult position because as you as you know especially at the um, at the official conference the conference has become very politicized and when you talk about issues such as uh, the Palestinians and the Iranians and apartheid uh, you immediately are pointing a finger at the United States and for the Americans I think this is a highly uh, difficult issue especially in an election year one of the leading countries in the hate America stakes was Iran and one of the things that they hate most is being judged by American standards what Iranians call Western values they chose and continue to choose the standards of Islam which to the Western way of thinking seems oppressive to put it mildly with regard to women so how does an Iranian woman feel about women being stoned for adultery well, uh, this is in Quran that the punishment for adultery is stoning, and this is the common law. It's not the law uh, made by people. It's, uh, it's the law in Quran, and it happened before in many countries during the early Islam. The punishment was with stoning, and uh, in Iran it happened once or twice that in some parts of Iran they still believe that. And they did it. Now Imam Khomeini, the leader, the religious leader, can change the punishment, the type of punishment. And Imam Khomeini has changed that. He said that it's not allowed to do to stone people. Just uh, maybe uh, killing or executing would be uh, enough. But the person, the person who happened to be stoned in Iran, the woman, she's she wasn't just an adultery. She was a woman who has several houses of prostitution. Uh, she was selling young boys and girls um, to uh, rich uh, men and women. And the women, who, uh, people who came and stoned her were the parents of those young boys and girls. And they asked the um, religious leader of the town, the mullah or whatever of, of that city, that they want, to be, they want to enjoy the punishment and they want to stone the, that woman themselves. So they asked to do that. And this happened only once or twice in Iran, and it, it's, it won't happen again because they changed the, um, the Imam Khomeini had changed the law for that. Well, not the law, but it, it is in Quran. It shouldn't be changed. But we, with the changes in the, in the social system, some of the punishments can be changed. And this so is now, if, if somebody were, were involved in adultery, what would be the, the punishment? Well, the, uh, it's very, very it's difficult uh, um, to say that uh, somebody has done adultery because in Quran it says that there has to be witnesses uh, to the four witnesses to have seen the, uh, the, uh, the thing that has happened and it's almost very difficult to get four witnesses uh, to uh, have seen the situation so uh, and if, if it's not ha uh, if there is no witnesses to that then the punishment is not like that and there is a, one example that of a woman who went to Hazrat Ali and she said that she has done adultery and she was pregnant. And Hazrat Ali had told her she that uh, she, she, she said, I want to be punished, I want to be stoned because I have done this act. And he said, well, you go and have your baby first and then come. She went and had the baby and came back again. 
she said now I want to be punished. I want to be stoned. And he told her to go and nurse your baby and then come back. And she went again and after a couple of years she came back and she said I still want to have punishment. And for the third time, uh, time he sent her and uh, so he, she came back the fourth time. And at the fourth time she uh, said that I, I can't tolerate the punishment in the next world. I want to be punished here in this world. She never did anything uh, again, you know, that, that was the once that she did that. And Hazrat Ali said to God and said, well, you know that I tried not to hear her, that she uh, said four times that she has done this act. I tried to uh, say that I haven't heard it, that it hasn't happened. But she wants to be punished herself. And she says that uh, she, she doesn't want to tolerate the punishment uh, in the next world. At that time, then, she, he ordered the uh, stoning for the woman that she wanted herself. So it's so difficult, it's so hard to prove that somebody has done the uh, adultery and the cases that are happening in Iran it's just it's not simple adultery it has been several things with that are there many women in your courts in courts uh, yes we have men, women judges and lawyers mm -hmm. yes is there equality in recognition of um, a witness if it is a man or if it is a woman yes oh, I thought at one stage that um, the numbers may maybe differ, you know, for each uh, man witness there should be two women witnesses. It why? It says in Quran. Uh, why? Do you want to answer that? Shahid, you're This is a rule. We haven't even thought of it. This is a rule. The number of women for witness should be more than man. So if you have got one, witness of a man witness that should have two women as two women witnesses no yeah. it's not oh no it don't make it the same thing. we're not talking about the being the same you know no, we have the equal no. rights mm. but, uh, but but why it would it be necessary to have two women witnesses in the same context as one man witness i don't know however the word joyous aspect of the islamic tradition in evidence at copenhagen too these musicians were Iraqi, next-door neighbours to Iran. Yes, indeed, there was more to the meeting in Copenhagen than dreary debate, and the Iraqis weren't the only people to provide music. Street theatre was another colourful factor, though in this instance, while it was colourful and spectacular, it was also very serious. We, the theatre companies of the International Women's Theatre Festival, condemn and challenge the fascists who would kill the power of her art? Oh, hombre, cree esto anque sea. Las mujeres dormidas despertarán moviéndose.
That was an objection and a plea for support for a woman's theatre, a feminist theatre in Brazil, which had been closed down the previous day and the woman who ran it had been put in prison. Well, now, if women in trouble with the law of the land is a feature in Brazil, there was one woman determined to highlight the situation of women in conflict with the law of the land in Ireland, Northern Ireland in particular. Nell McCafferty. Until 1976, in Northern Ireland, anyone who committed what was regarded as an offence against the state of Great Britain, who was convicted and who was imprisoned, was given political status. Political status is a means of differing between political prisoners and what are known as criminal prisoners. But the differentiation of political status was an acknowledgement on all sides in the conflict that people who had committed acts against the state were not doing so for reasons of self-interest and were not doing so for reasons of individual profit. They were doing it because they believed, rightly or wrongly, and a political ideal. On the 1st of March 1976, the British government decided to withdraw political status from anyone who committed a crime after that date. What nationality are you? I am from Iceland. I am Icelandic. And why have you come to this particular session, the one on the Armagh Women's Prison? Uh, here, in this, this room, it is because I have very, it is because of your terrible situation and I want very much to be able to do something for Ireland. I understand that you were talking about founding a group. Yes, I, I have tried once before to founding a solidarity group in Iceland. Why are you particularly interested in it? Uh, I am interested in all world affairs, but particularly in Ireland, I have more feelings for Ireland than other countries, I don't know why. It might be because you are our next neighbours. The Irish situation is almost a secret in Iceland. It is because it is, England is in NATO, we are in NATO too, and they try to discuss if it is very little problem in the East Europe, but they try to keep silent, silent about the Irish problem. I'm Danish. And why did you come to this one on the Armagh Women's Prison? Uh, I have read a good deal of articles and books on the uh, problem uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, and I was interested to know, to know about this problem. Mm -hmm. Is it something that gets a lot of coverage in the Danish press? Uh, no, not really. I read about it in English newspapers. Mm -hmm. That workshop was organised by Nell McCafferty, who was attending the non-governmental forum, where she created an amazing amount of international interest in the situation here at home. Well, the extent of this can be judged by the difficulties experienced by Brendan Daly, Minister for State at the Department of Labour, when he made the official Irish address to the main conference. Madam President, it gives me great pleasure 
on behalf of the Government of Ireland to participate in this conference. I congratulate the United Nations on providing us with a timely opportunity to look back over our equality programs during the last five years and in so doing to formulate a strategy for continuing change so that the objectives of the decade might be achieved. I also wish to convey the greetings of the Government of Ireland to the conference and also to the government and people of Denmark. I am glad to say that action has been taken on many of the reforms advocated in the Commission's report. Indeed, I might mention that a number of those reforms relate specifically to the basic objectives set out in the World Plan of Action for the decade. One of the major sub-themes of this conference, employment, is of special concern to me. I am firmly convinced that women at work make a significant contribution to the economic well-being of our society. Recent statistics have shown that they form 28% of our total workforce, having increased from 15% in 1975. While this level of participation is very much lower than many other countries, it has developed in a very different way. We did not experience the same strong pressures of labor demand during the 1950s and the 1960s, and it was only in the last 10 years that the participation of married women in the labor force began to grow. And so Brendan Daly experienced in a rather personal way some of the walk-ins, walk-outs, sit-ins and marches that were a constant feature of the conference. The interruptions to his speech, incidentally, were made by a French journalist shouting about the women in Armagh jail. But no protest was as successful as the Palestinians. And in the last few days of the conference, there came a crunch vote. It was concerning the channeling of funds to Palestinian refugees. Now, the original motion suggested that the money should go through the PLO. There were many objections, amendments and counter-amendments to this. There were votes on whether or not to take a vote. The President asked that a vote not be taken, but rather that an effort should be made to reach consensus. Eventually, the Soviet Union forced for the closure of the debate and there was a vote on that. And when that was passed, the final motion was presented and the vote was to be taken on the Indian Amendment which proposed that the money be channelled in consultation with the PLO. Honduras, not participating. Hungary, yes, Hungary. Ireland, abstention. India. Yes, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Ireland, no participation. Israel, Israel, no. Italy, no participation. I would request. I would ask you to be quiet while I'm telling the, uh, giving you the results. And after that, uh, 85 countries are in favor of the proposal made by India. 
So this proposal is adopted and is now a part of the program of action. Three have uh, uh, three countries. The vote is negative, and 22 abstentions. Well, so much for all the politicking. In the end, a programme of action was produced and it is of great relevance to Irish women. There were so many resolutions, it would be like hours of litany to read them all. But for example, the discussions and resolutions ranged over subjects like that this conference urges all countries to take appropriate measures, including legislative ones within the framework of national policies, to provide information, education and means to enable women and men to freely exercise the right to determine their family size. Another one that certainly would have been of relevance to Ireland was the conference urged all states to consider establishing family courts staffed wherever possible with personnel, including women, trained in law and in various other relevant disciplines, as well as those with special expertise and experience. There was another one which urged member states to adopt measures to protect the victims of family violence and to implement programmes whose aims are to prevent such abuse, as well as to provide centres for the treatment, shelter and counselling of victims of violence and sexual assault and to provide other services such as alcohol and drug abuse rehabilitation, housing, employment, childcare and healthcare. So as you can see, as the programme emerges and as action is taken on them, it will be of great relevance to Irish people. There was one occasion where Ireland broke ranks with Europe and indeed with most of the world. She was joined by the Holy See, Ecuador and one or two other countries in expressing reservations on one area. I wonder if you can guess what it was. It was on a motion urging governments to include in school curricula family planning classes that would be suitable for boys and girls about safe and acceptable fertility regulation methods so that both men and women could take responsibility for family planning and promote the health, safety and welfare of mothers and infants and enable women to exercise the right to decide freely and responsibly for the size and spacing of their families. Well, now, since we were joined on that resolution and the reservation that we expressed on it by the Vatican, and since we were in such a minority, it prompted other countries to inquire about the relationship between church and state in Ireland. This, in turn, led me to inquire about the same thing in Holland, also a Catholic country. Contraceptives are widely and freely available in Holland, so does this cause conflict for Dutch women? I suppose that the majority of Catholic women, and even belonging to those Catholic women's group, don't have any problems with that at all, because they just go by their own conscience. Would you say that most of them then are using contraceptives, those that, that are of that age? I think so, yes. Mm. Um, what is your legislation like? Are contraceptives freely available for... They're freely available. For all people? Yes. Married and single? Yes. Um, how are you in the area of um, family law? Have you got divorce legislation? Yes. When those changes were occurring within your legislation, were you conscious of, say, the, the Catholic Church, the bishops and the priests 
in any way influencing the public in the way they should vote or in what their attitudes should be towards this kind of legislation? I must think about it, but I don't think there is this strong influence coming from the Catholic Church in Holland. Is it something your politicians would be conscious of, the attitude of, of the church towards pieces of legislation? I don't think so. I think they go by, by, by their, uh, what they have to do as politicians and what they think is right for a Catholic to do. Would you say you have a secular society? What do you mean by do that? Do you understand secular? Um, as a society where, where all churches are quite distinctly divorced from the state, that the state... Yes, yes that, absolutely. There is no, no question of mutual influence at any time? No. Not even in, in areas that would affect moral standards within the community? Well, of course, they keep into contact uh, about difficult questions, but in the end, there's an absolute separation between the two. So there you heard how a country somewhat like our own operates. And those were the kind of exchanges of experience that happened all the time between women from all over the world at the United Nations World Conference on Women in Copenhagen. I am woman, watch me grow, see me standing.